Hey, everybody. Apologies for the month-long hiatus. I promise it was not for a lack of enthusiasm. Quite the opposite. I am as stoked as ever, and there are big plans for this operation. Um, you are just seeing me quote-unquote work in public, and with that, mistakes are made along the way, like getting too stoked and publishing a bunch of episodes all at once instead of spacing them out for consistency's sake. We are, of course, uh, course correcting. And from here on out, you can expect weekly episodes to drop on Sunday nights. I have more exciting things to say about the future of the podcast and newsletter, but that can wait until the outro. In this episode, we check in with Eric Schranz. As most of you know, Eric is the co-founder of one of the most popular media sources in our sport, ultrarunnerpodcast.com. We get right into it and accidentally do the lightning round first, so let me know what you think about that. We also cover the state of the podcast and newsletter, what makes a good interview, his favorite conversations over the past decade, the good, the bad, and the ugly of how our sport is changing and growing, and we get his thoughts on the scene at the Broken Arrow Sky Race series earlier this month. The conversation jumps all over the place, but in a way that felt authentic. If you are someone who enjoys pure banter about our sport, I think you will like this episode. So without further ado, please welcome Eric Schranz to the podcast. We are live. Eric Schranz, welcome to the Single Track Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Finn. Appreciate it. I was reading URP Daily a couple days ago, and I've been noticing a trend. You've been putting a lot of commentary on Let's Run into the mix. And my <laughs> first question is, why doesn't Let's Run exist for the trail running community yet? Well, first of all, I want to clarify about, about Let's Run. Uh, Let's Run does phenomenal work in terms of reporting. They, do, they, they, they put out great stuff for articles and race synopses. They do really great work. The disaster the cesspool is, are the boards, the message boards, which I've always referred to as the Mensa team. For years, I've called them the Mensa team because they're just, they're, it's just a, a cesspool of idiots over there. Yeah. But yeah, I link to, I link all the time to their, the reporting is great. It is. It's just, but to your question, why isn't there one for trail running? I think they've tried to make one. They've kind of dabbled in ultra running and tried to get people into ultras. It's just not going to be a thing. When I started running, trails the message board was on runnersworld.com and there was a few different subgroups in that this was in 20 this would have been like 2007 and there was a trail running subgroup and i met all sorts of people that's where like i met Patrick corbett and like all these people were on the, the runners world trail running forum and it was great it it, it was semi-moderated there wasn't the chaos that goes less run boards make it and if you build it they will come if we do make it, I'm going to submit a name here. Let's power hike. Let's power hike. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. But yeah, it's interesting because like we, in, in the running world, especially we talk about how 99% of the people are good and like 1% of the people are bad. And it's weird that they could all somehow congregate on those chat boards. And maybe it's, it, maybe it's just a function of the internet and anonymity and all that kind of stuff, but it's Yeah. Wild. And it, it attracts them. I and I don't have a, I mean, I'm a major, major, major free speech guy. I put free speech above anything, but you got to have, you got to have some kind of moderation and the simple act of requiring a name or registration. I mean, that's what I do on my site. I used to let people post anonymously and now I mandate that people use a name. I don't know if it's real or not, but you got to have some kind of 
you've got to have some kind of connection to the profile that you're posting on. And, and by the way, for any listeners that don't know, what is letsrun.com? Oh God. It is a fantastic resource for running news. They have a million different links from Olympics to they're dabbling in ultra running to sprinting to a lot of marathon, very heavy on the elites, very heavy on domestic elites. And then they've got these message boards that if you go click on the right now there, I'm sure there'll be a mega thread on Donald Trump. I'm sure there's some kind of mega thread on Sage candidate and everything in between. I'm a, I'm a 15 year old 5k runner and I want to get below 11 minutes. What should I do? It's shit like that. <laughs> oh, my. It's it, again, there's some great stuff in there, but so much of it is, is just toxic garbage. And I stopped looking at the boards a while ago. I was reading some stuff about me and I just, this, I, this is, right. this is nonsense. I'm done. I don't know if, if there's anybody out there that has a contact or a connection. I'd love to have uh, the two founders on, on the podcast. They, Johnson uh, boys, they, the Johnson boys, they seem like interesting people and uh, they do. would love to get the lowdown on how it came to be and how they're managing all that kind of stuff. Yeah, they're not. Yeah. Dylan had him on the podcast recently, but I think I discovered this on Let's Run. Is Kipchoge serious about dabbling in ultras? That's probably means a 50K on the road. Yeah, but I, I mean, guess it's not that different than... I guess one thing I'm wondering is his potential entry into the sport. Is that... Do you think that'll basically create like the biggest growth wave the sport's ever seen? Like, it, will it have that no. like Anton effect or no? No, no, be I pretty... no, I don't at all. Okay. Um, I, I, I think when Des beat the 50K record, People said, cool, she did that. That's a great point. But it didn't really, it didn't, I, I, hopefully it inspired other marathoners to, to try that. But I didn't see a bump from her performance. And Elliot would be amazing. If, if Kipchoge got in, it would be amazing. <laughs> and that record would be obliterated. I really think that record would be obliterated so long as it's on the road or a semi-flat trail. I would love for him to. I would love for him to do that. I, I want more and more and more Africans in this sport. There already are a ton of Africans in the sport in Africa. I mean, you look at the ultras. The ultras over there. I mean, comrades for God's sake is right. just gigantic. But the it sounds crass to say, but most of them are in it for the money, and the money's just not there. Over yeah. Whatever there. happened to that? Wasn't there an attempt like? four or five years ago to get some truly elite marathoners on the Sonoma start line or maybe yeah, it was the TNF yeah. 50. Like what happened there? I like Sonoma. I don't remember what happened. It's so weird to talk about elite marathoners with any type of relativity because unless you're a 203 to 205 guy, you're relegated to the back page when you're talking about Kenyans and Ethiopians. And so these were elite guys who had run. I don't remember what they'd run. They'd run 205 or 207 a couple of years ago, but there were still probably two ten guys. And I don't recall who it was, but who we were working with. I was helping out trying to get him over. It was it was at Herodand. Ed Herodand was involved somehow. And the, the uh, guy and, who wrote uh, Running with the Kenyans. Right, right. He was involved some I don't remember his role. And I think something happened with visas or an injury or something, and it just didn't pan out. It just seems like it would be an opportunity. I know that 50 grand, hundred grand is a tremendous amount of money. But to drop that money on, I'm getting, get an elite over here. Get, get, yeah, we've probably never heard of him, but get some 205 guy over here or some 218 woman or something or 220 woman. And, and let's see what happens and really get that going. And then also hopefully that'll stop people talking about all this rampant racism in the sports. Let's get the Africans over here and show them what's up. Right. The Africans will show us what's up. I know. And I've always been curious, actually, you just brought up prize purses. I've always been curious as to why prize purses 
have not been as big in our sport as they could be And why, for example, like run rabbit run, which is a real, I'm not going to say it's obscure, but it's a truly like American only event yeah, for sure. that has like the biggest purse in the country. Like how did that come yeah. to be? Do you have any idea? I don't know why that and where I think ultra is involved. I don't okay. remember who there's a couple companies involved in putting up the money. I have no idea why it's, why it's that, but Remember, the prize purses aren't really five grand or whatever, but if you take an average, take an elite, and their contract is generally going to say for a prestige race. So pre- there's different levels of races. Now we're yeah. talking Western States, Hard yeah, Rock, yeah. the prestige races, their their bonus will be seven to $10,000. And that's a lot more important than, that's why I, I, that's why I think you don't hear a lot of people screaming and yelling about additional prize purses because elites, they're already making their money there. It's just right. not out in the open. Right. Okay. That's a great point. That's a great point. I just realized that we're like three questions deep into what was going to be the lightning round. So I'm just going to keep going with this round. <laughs> do it. Do it. Uh, we're going to dabble in philosophy here for a second. Are oh, there any, Lord. we got like three of these. Are there any books, podcast episodes, TV shows, songs that you've come across recently that have fundamentally changed the way you approach life? Yes, absolutely. First, I don't listen to running podcasts. I just, I think in the past, I've only been listening to podcasts for a couple of years. And I had this podcast for eight or nine years before I'd listened to any running podcast at all. Mm. I just, I, I prefer to just listen to something else. And there is an interview uh, with Sam Harris about, about changing, about how hard it is for people to change their minds. And both psychologically and brain-wise, how hard it physically is for us to believe something and then to change our minds on it. And it really, really, really affected me a lot. It really got mm. me thinking a lot about kind of everything from running to politics, from society and family, about the ability to change our minds and how important it is. And that was a really good one. And no, not really. That's That one really hit me hard. That was a really good one. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. Sam, yeah. Sam Harris, by the way, shout out to Sam Harris. Love yep. Sam Harris. Yep. Is there any other recent wisdom that you've come across that has resonated with you that you think would uh, be worthwhile to share with the audience? About an hour ago, I am, so I'm a, a PE teacher at an elementary school, but I also volunteer there at lunch and work with the kids for track and see what they can do. I, I time them, I bring out cards and, and a scanner and they get to count their laps. And a girl was trying for one lap. One lap at our school is 367 meters, but she was trying for one lap. She already has a record. She was trying for one lap again. And I had all these track spikes out. I've collected probably about 50 pairs of spikes over the years. And I had all these spikes out and I said, Marin, put on some spikes. No, no, no. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And she was wearing skinny jeans and Crocs. She's in fifth grade. And I said, Marin, come on. I got the shoes right here. You got socks on, put on some spikes and let's see what you can do. And she didn't. And she wore skinny jeans and Crocs and essentially beat her own record. And that, that type of stuff, I love seeing that type of stuff just because it just, it hits two things. It shows how strong you are mentally. You don't need that. You can do this. She gutted her way through it and did it. Right. Yes. She probably would have been faster with spikes on, but she did what she wanted to do without spikes on. And it shows the frivolity and just the over, overemphasis we have on gear when we all know that most of the sport is not about the gear. It's about what's in you. And the gear falls second when you've got a really strong heart and really strong passion. 
and then I haven't even introduced you or the podcast yet. We'll get to that in a second, but name one thing that your work at URP has taught you that has widespread applicability that everyone should know. One thing that, uh, ask that again, Finn. Yeah. N- name <laughs> one thing that your work at URP has uh-huh. taught you that you think is just a universal truth that anybody in their work life should try to apply. Well, I, everybody's got a story. Everybody Mm. has a story and whether it's a failure or a success, there's a story behind that. And yeah, a lot of times it's a boring story or sometimes it's not very interesting or dynamic, but there's always a story. And if you just ask questions and let somebody talk, then you're going to hear their story. And that applies to family, to business, to school, to all sorts of stuff, not just looking at the situation, but finding what's behind it. By the way, your comment on Sam Harris, maybe look up this term. I'm on yeah. Wikipedia right now. The phrase is called the negative capability. Right. And right. it's uh, just for anyone that hasn't become familiar with this, it is, it's the capacity of someone to pursue a vision of artistic beauty, even when it leads them into intellectual confusion and uncertainty, as opposed to a preference for philosophical certainty. Right. I think that's a great thing for the audience to think about. That's a great, especially in these times. It is. It's, there's a lot of really good stuff in there. There's a lot of really good and crazy. I mean, all these tests they do on people, you, you tell them something, you tell them something false and they believe it. And then you tell them the truth with all this evidence and they just refuse to believe it. <laughs> and these are not political things. These are the glasses is half full or something and objective truths. And people will just not, they just won't believe it. They're going to believe the first thing they thought and they're not going to change their minds. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. And it, it just made me look at myself and thinking, oh yeah, I've got all sorts of crazy stuff. I believe that I really need to be looking elsewhere and, and considering other alternatives. And it's good to, it's really good to do that. Amen. All right. This is the last bit of the uh, lightning round that I already spoiled. I'm looking for recommendations here. I know you've been a big supporter of the war on drugs in the past. If you want to ah, uh, tout them I some have. more here, that's cool. I but, have, uh, I have. What are some, what are some albums and or songs that to this audience should add to their next Spotify playlist? My wife and I just went and saw my morning jacket last week or so in Berkeley and they were, love fa- Jim I James, liked them. Yeah. I, they were fantastic. I loved them. My wife tolerated it, which is good, which I'll, I'll take, but they were fantastic. Have you seen them live Finn? Yeah, I saw them at uh, Red Rocks in 2012. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh my god! They're they're, they're so good. They're so good live. And uh, I got to give a shout out. They have a live album. It's called Okanos, Okanos and it was yeah. put out in like 2006. And if anyone like that. listens to that, it'll change your life. It's so good. It's largely guy rock. All right. There is not a lot of women For at sure. the show. It's dudes who like music. You know, <laughs> yes, there are plenty of women there, but it was, it's mainly guy rock and it, it, uh, it was great, but uh, war on drugs, their new album, I think, I mean, they've been kind of trickling out, out at singles, but I think they're the, the big release is Friday. And then we're seeing them on, we're seeing them in February. And then- oh, I saw a bunch of their stuff on the deeper understanding tour. It was great. Um, but that album that came before, I think is my favorite one. It's amazing. They're I mean, people, people, band. people forget that Kurt Vile was in that band. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, anyway, they're an amazing band They're and, and live. They are phenomenal. Who else am I? I'm really digging Michael Kiwanaka. I've been listening to that guy for a few years. Right on. Yeah. He is just, he's, he's got songs that sound like Marvin Gaye and Pink Floyd got together that are just amazing. And his live stuff, his studio stuff is phenomenal. Um, I would say that the track I've been most obsessed with recently 
is Fiona Apple covering The Hole of the Moon by The mm. Water Boys. I've seen that, yeah. Unbelievable. She's just a, she's such an outstanding singer and that's such a great song. And that was apparently her second time ever singing it and just killed it. So it's on YouTube. It's Fiona Apple covering The War, covering The Hole of the Moon by The Water Boys. Water Check Boys, yeah. Another great band. Yep. Last, actually, I got two more food recipes and or just meals that you've had recently that Woo! other people should get down with. Oh, man. Well, my go-to as a dad is goldfish with garam masala powder in there. That's just my go-to. It's so good. It just takes goldfish to another level, to a to an adult level. And it really is. Bag of goldfish, dump some garam masala, and your life will be changed. Oh, I don't know. We had a big, we had a big beer party this past Saturday, and our friends brought over these, I don't know what they are, these sandwiches that I'm sure are all over Etsy. And they are, they're, they're some kind of ham sandwich with seasoning and I would fight people for them. They're so good. They're so good. Awesome. Uh, And then last thing, just anything miscellaneous that you want to recommend to the audience because you have good taste. Oh, no, you don't want my taste. No, (laughs) (laughs) I'm into weird things. No, anything miscellaneous I can. How about, how about running gear technology that you, that have, that has caught your eye recently? I've had a newish Garmin for a couple months that I like after a couple of years of not having any type of watch. And, and I love that it plays music and I love that it's got a, a paddleboard component to it. It's a Garmin VivoActive 4, I think. And it wasn't 600 bucks and it's easy to use and I love it. Gotcha. Okay. That concludes the lightning round. And I think after 20 minutes of going back and forth, we're finally going to intro you. So if you could, I'm sure everybody that's listening to this knows you, but uh, just give us a quick overview of what ultra runner podcast is, what you've been, what you've been doing there, maybe what the future looks like even. Yeah. Elevator pitch. I'm Eric Trans. I'm the host and uh, co-founder of ultra runner podcast. Started it in 2009. I believe is the actual date and with some actual, some friends actually started it. I came in on the second interview. They started it and were new to talking about running and we're just into running, but didn't know what to do with it. What year was and this? this was, I believe 2009, I think okay. 2009 and Scotty Sandow well, was a running friend of mine and said, Hey, you want to join us? You know a lot about this. You're interested. You want to join us. You talk a lot <laughs> and uh, you want to join us. I said, sure. Like I've never listened to a podcast. I don't technically know what they are, but we're going to get to hang out at the radio station he worked at in the audio booth and talk to runners. That's shit. That sounds like a good idea. I'm in. And then that worked great. And then a couple months later, Don and Scott, so Don Freeman and Scott War, who were with Trail Runner Nation, yeah. they left. And then Scotty and I for a while doing that on our own. And then Scotty left. And then it was just me. And, um, and 500 and something episodes in now I've slowed down a lot recently. I used to be an episode or two a week. I was sometimes three times a week. Now I'm about once a month. And I also put out a, a newsletter, the UROP daily news every other day, three times a week, sometimes every day. It just depends on what's going on in my life on the internet for free on alternatepodcast.com. And it, all it is links to stories that I find interesting and commentary. And that whole thing started out I was running the site for, for URP and having no experience. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was just on WordPress and, and I needed a place to put these other articles that I wanted to talk about on the show. So I just started making a list of articles I wanted to talk. I wanted to talk about with like little, my little commentaries next. Here's an interesting thing about this. What the hell is going on there? 
or this guy ran really well here. Just little comments. And then I just started publishing it and it, people started uh, clicking on it. And all of a sudden it, it was all of a sudden getting a lot more attention than the audio podcast. So that still goes out a few times a week. And then I'm, I'm podcasting as well. All my guests have run, almost all my guests have run ultras and I've changed a lot. I will probably get into this later, Finn. I've changed a lot. The focus of who I'm interviewing, it used to be, I was really interested in elites North American elites and what was going on. And that's just changed a lot recently. Now I'm, I'm focusing on different types of people. A couple of questions there. We're going to have a lot to talk about, but I'm curious what uh, motivated the change in pace in terms of the number of interviews being published oh, each week? Well, COVID. I mean, COVID. It, it, okay. yeah, last year was, there's just no, there's no races and there's only so many times you can have the conversation. How's COVID going for you in Illinois? You know, oh, it sucks. There's only so much of that. And then I was just, I was honestly just getting burned out after 10 years of, I mean, not full-time work on URP, but many, many hours a day, I was just getting burned out and focusing more time on my kids. I got more involved with, with coaching at their school and I started a cross country team for kids and I was just focusing on other things and that something had to give. What uh, with the newsletter? What have you learned about the content that people tend to like the most besides articles about, <laughs> besides, besides articles about Anton Krupitschka? That's the, that's the answer. Yeah. If it involves Anton, everybody clicks on it a million times. It's crazy. Still to this day, it's been going on for 10 years. I mean, it's that dude that is, he is the most influential person in the sport with, without a doubt. What have I learned on what people click on? I used to. And still occasionally we'll look at metrics. Tesla stuff, right? Yeah, you look at yeah. metrics. I used like, to look at metrics and I'd, I'd kind of review, I'd go on uh, every few episodes, I'd review the top five most clicked on. Um, and it's, there's a lot of, if there's some kind of controversy, if something happened at a race and the <clears throat> RD screwed up or somebody took a wrong turn or something big happened, those will get clicked on a lot. And I try to not sensationalize those because I don't want to be, Let's run message boards, basically, if it involves Anton. And then good, simple advice columns, mm. like Coop's columns type Coop's of things. Column, yeah. The, yeah, they're very directed. Or David Roach, like, you don't live near hills. Here's how to get better on hills. Yeah. Or here's how to fuel during a 50 miler. Or You don't live in Phoenix. Here's where your local sawn is located. Right, right, right. <laughs> Those directed things. But the one, two, and three answer is Anton. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Well, I want to talk a little bit about how this interviewing process comes together and how the, how the newsletter comes together yeah. in Europe. You know, you've been doing this for 12 years. What makes for a good interview? Somebody with opinions. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody who can, well, there's a few things. Let's take it, break it down. Somebody who has opinions and is not afraid to express them. The, though, I mean, you've interviewed people plenty. Those who are, oh, well, I don't know. I don't know. And they, and they demur on some things because yeah. they don't want to say the wrong thing or they don't want it to come across as this and that. Say it, you know, you got to be able to answer a question directly and have an opinion on something. If you don't know, you don't know. Don't make it up, but be honest about that. And then the ability to, to tell a dynamic story is so freaking important You've got runner, he just ran this incredible race, but you interview him and it's, I mean, it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, I trained hard, trained 100 miles a week. I went up from the start at about six miles. I took the lead and blah, blah, blah. And I had some pains and I won. All right. And then runner B, 
she did okay. She didn't do as well as she wanted, but she t- she has an amazing story behind it about all this all these other things that were going on and what she saw and what people were saying when she was running and how she felt when she saw so-and-so at an aid station. And when she got to the finish line, you know, that's a good story. She didn't do as well as she thought she was going to do. She didn't win, but that's a much more compelling story that the audience can relate to way more than some dude who can run a 13 hour hundred miler. Yeah. Yeah. And those, I mean, I've dumped a few in, I've dumped, out of 500 interviews, I think I've dumped two or three that were just terrible. And they're terrible for different reasons, but I prepare enough for interviews and I put enough time into them. I try mm-hmm. to do my, my due, due diligence, diligence before yeah. and find out is what type of person is this? Can how, they talk? Yeah. How, well, I guess my follow-up there is like how comfortable and then how far do you feel is necessary to push the person to reveal their opinions and where do you draw the line? Like, is, really, do, is, really is there so like much. an example of maybe this, I don't want to expose anybody, but are there interviews where you felt like by the end of it, you actually helped them find their voice in the interview? Oh yeah. State their opinions. Definitely open up. Yeah. Yeah. State their opinions. No, because I don't want to do that. I don't yeah. want to, on a personal level, if I was sitting on my porch and drinking beer with them, I would dig and pry. Yeah. yeah. But if they don't want to, I don't want to be that guy who's trying to I don't want it. I don't want it to accidentally turn into a gotcha. Yeah. And especially if they say something and then the audience takes it wrong and flips out and calls them names. I, I don't want to be in between that. But in terms of opening up, there's been some very powerful. I mean, I'm on the mic and my jaw's kind of on the ground, just listening, going, wow. I mean, this is I mean, Jim's, you know, from a couple of years ago when he was talking about just his life before running and leading up to it and the DUI and all this type of stuff. And that was a very strong, that was a very powerful interview for me to listen to. And I I really respect him a lot for opening up like that. Yeah. Uh, What are, what are some of your other favorite episodes to date? That's so hard. You know, it it depends if I'm, if. For me, it's the Gary Robbins one. Gary Robbins is freaking. Four or five years ago. The Barkley one? Yeah. Is that Barkley? Yeah. Errol Rocket Jones from a couple of years ago, from seven, eight, nine years ago. Again, I've not gone back and listened to any of them. So all I can do is go off of kind of how it's going when I'm listening, when I'm interviewing. And his enthusiasm and his N equals one. I mean, he's a black vegan margarita drinking ultra runner. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just, he's, there yeah. isn't another one as far as I know. <laughs> he, he is just a phenomenal person, as enthusiastic and exciting as you can possibly get. And you just, when you talk to Errol, my mouth just hurts from smiling so much. And those are great. But yeah, Gary's were phenomenal. Kevin Green, that who ran the, uh, the Campos de Postela, I'm getting that name wrong, in Spain. He lives in Northern California. And a couple of years ago, he just said, nah, I got some time off. I'm going to Spain in two weeks. And took a pair of running shoes and a backpack and ran the 400 miles or whatever that is um, across Spain and just told a really great story about, about running across Spain and sleeping in these cathedrals and sleeping on marble floors with nuns and how, I don't remember the quote, damn it, I wish I had the quote with me, how our ability as endurance athletes it has nothing to do with our, 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 has little to do with our physical ability, but everything to do with our ability to know what's possible. You just had some really profound messages that have really stuck with me. Very cool. 
what are your favorite questions to ask in the interview well, process? Do you, are there any like, yeah, I, sorry. There's um, always two questions I ask, almost always. I always ask, what'd you learn? Because I love learning. I love hearing what people learned during a race because it's never, this nev- it's never the same. It's never, ever the same. And whether you, whether the guest won or lost or somewhere in between, there's always a profound answer. And it's, I learned that I could throw up for three hours and then still finish it. I learned that I could run in a brand new pair of shoes that my coach had always told me I couldn't do. I learned that I actually liked Tailwind. I learned that there's always an answer. It's usually a pretty deep answer. And then I always ask about what kind of beer they like, because I think mere taste in beer tells a lot about your person, <laughs> as shallow as that is. I'll throw it back on you. What have you learned the most in the last 10 to 12 years in the sport doing this podcast, being at the center of conversation? About the overall sport is that it is changing and that uh, change is good and it's bad. There's some great things about the, the growth of the sport and there's some things that are just a real bummer. Overall, it's good. What have I learned about, about the sport? Um, it's changing. I don't know how else to answer that. I mean, that's the, I think that's the most constant thing we have right now. What is exciting you the most in this growth period? The emphasis on the extremes of distance. I think it's really cool how the 200s are, are taken off. Mm. I like seeing those a lot. And then also how there's a lot of emphasis on subultra mountain stuff. And I love seeing that at Broken Arrow this past weekend, you know, or two weeks ago, you know, people go hard. I mean, 26K was a big, big race. People go hard. And I really like seeing that, both extremes. I mean, we both, I think we were all, you know, a couple of years ago, okay, 50 milers, 100 milers, this is our deal. No, no. I mean, there's, you know, Candace has got people running 250 miles across Moab and, uh, and people are really lacing up for short stuff. And that's cool. That's good. On that note about 200s, first of all, I agree. Very cool. Second, it's interesting that there's only really one race director for that distance right now in the U.S. and it's Candace. Like no one else has decided to. Jamil's got uh, Jamil's oh, got Cocodona. That's right. He's got Cocodona. Yeah, but you're right. Okay, still small. It it must take. I mean, I've seen those videos <clears throat> where they showed their gear and their their equipment and everything. It takes a certain person to run a 200. It takes a real certain person to to direct have the resources to direct something like that i mean that's a crazy situation i've been to tahoe and the amount of stuff and infrastructure it takes is mind-blowing yeah you have to be a logistical wizard i oh my god yeah <laughs> well so I'm, I'm based in salt lake city utah which we can get into trail towns if you want i think that salt lake yeah, city is I the most underrated trail town love salt of lake all city. time yep anyways i say that because i came across a gpx file for a uh, proposed Wasatch 200 course, which runs Ooh. between Ogden and Provo in the central Wasatch range over like really the most aesthetic terrain here. And there's a guy named Canis Hart. He's the RD for a couple races here in Park City and he built it and it would be really cool. And I don't know who's going to step up to take it, but- What does I it just, go through in terms of national and, and it, state land? Yeah, there is some national forest service land issues, but it goes through all of the coolest places like Little Cottonwood Canyon, Big Cottonwood, Mill Creek, City Creek, all around Mount Timpanogos. That's Mount not near Peak. Bryce, is it? No, 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 no. This is all up in the Salt Lake City area. Okay. So it's in those mountains just over the metro area. Cool. Anyways, I, any chance I get to prop up the Salt Lake running community, I do it. So Fantastic. And the trails are the, the perfect, well, it's in the middle. It's yeah. not crazy beast coast and it's not West coast groomed. It's at right in the middle where there's still real trails 
but they're not perfectly groomed. They're marked really well, but not overmarked. And the what I, I keep saying is the the mountain bikers are fantastic there. We've got some trail running versus mountain biker animosity here in Northern California. And mm. there it seems like everybody just gets along. Same with Boise. Sure. Same with Boise, Idaho. For yeah. sure. Yeah, I had Eric Sensman on the podcast a couple yeah. of weeks ago, and he made this great analogy about how we have all these problems with commuting to and from work, but we never think about the commute to and from exercise. And one <laughs> of the great things about Salt Lake City in flag stuff is you can literally just hop right out your door it's amazing. on a trail to 11,000 feet if you it's want. Amazing. Salt Lake's amazing. That wherever the trail system up behind, is that University of Utah? Yeah, it's called the uh, Bonneville Shoreline Trail System. Those trails are incredible. Yeah. 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 Next time you're in town, we'll go for a run. I'll, uh, I'll give you a grand to. tour. Yeah. Cool. What have you, as it relates to our sport here, what have you changed your mind on in the last two to three years? I have gone back and forth on growth, on whether <laughs> growth is good and how it needs to happen to benefit the most people in the sport. Yeah. And so I guess I've changed my mind on that back and forth. Or, where was or, it? Are big sponsors it good or big sponsors bad? To, to what extent do we want all this outreach? To what extent do we want to beg people to run? I used to be very like, yeah, let's get everybody and everybody and everybody. And now it's, it. I don't understand why I thought that. And I don't understand why other people want that. If you want to run, cool, come on and run. But trying to scoop everybody in and kind of force or, or almost guilt people into running, it just doesn't make any sense to me. If people don't want to run, and I'm referring to everything from kids to, to different genders, to different ethnicities. You know, if you want to run great, come on in. If you don't, cool. Maybe <laughs> you probably have something else you want to do. And I've, I've changed my mind on that. Others, I don't know. That'd be the main one. I think there's a lot of, uh, and I consider myself in the pro growth camp, but there's a lot of us who take this very evangelistic Timothy Leary-esque approach to spreading the gospel of ultra running. And maybe it is good to take a step back and be like, oh, you know, there are things that we may lose. And that's what I think is cool about ITRA, for example. And, you know, I think Bob Crowley had said this from time to time that their mission is to, as we're going through this huge growth period, how do we make sure that all of the values that made this sport great in the last 40 years are retained and the next generation understands what it took to get here and why those values make sense for the long run. It's, and that is something that if we're going to get to what changes have we seen in the past decade, that is something that I, I don't know how to impart to the new people. And I, I don't want to sound like an old timer because I'm not. I mean, most of the people listening to the show have been running for way longer than I have. But, but when I started ultras in whatever, 28, <clears throat> damn near every ultra you went to, the finish line, you still had most of the top runners right at that finish line cheering everybody on. That was like Scott Jerk's claim to fame, right? Yeah, he think, Wait, yeah. it was. And, and he kind of did it because that was his persona. So he sure. kind of had to. Sure. But sure. others were too. I mean, others, you'd, you'd hang out, take your shoes off, kick back, have a beer, and cheer everybody on. And I just don't see that anymore on any large scale at all. And I don't know how to bring back that type of grassroots participation and, and encouragement because that was awesome. I mean, I finished races mid-pack and there was Dave Mackey cheering me on, you know, mm. that was awesome. And I, I don't think that's happening anymore. And I wish it were, and I don't know how to bring it back. That's a great point. To be completely honest, I'm relatively new to the sport. I came in 2016, 17. I, I consider myself in the same era, not in terms of ability, but like when Jim Walmsley came in and Courtney DeWalter came in, 
So those are the people that I looked in terms of helping to set the culture. And yeah, yeah, Courtney, I don't definitely. I don't, yeah. Courtney, Courtney definitely. Sure. She sticks around. She for sticks sure. around. For I mean, sure. broken arrow. There she was holding the damn banner for, for everybody finishing. Yeah. Yeah, de- definitely. And I just see that fleeting and I don't know. I don't think that exists at UTMB though. I ran CCC this past year and I, mean, yeah. I guess it's also logistically tough. Cause like there's like a finishing hurdle track thing there and yeah, there's a spectator limit, but anyways. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know if it's a result of just a different mentality of, well, I'm done. So it's me, I'm done. Or if it's, there's different media polls and yeah. now, okay, you're going to whisk away to now you got to do an IRFR interview right now, or I don't know, I don't know what's causing it, but it just takes away from the, the unique, really intimate grassrootsy feel it had. Is there anything else, and that's a great example, but is there anything else that kind of worries you as we enter into this new decade and there's new ambassadors and whatnot? Drugs really don't. I mean, I just, I, in terms of like EPO and all the, the, I just, I don't think that's going to be an issue. Yep. I mean, I've looked at the drug situation enough. I'm by any, by nowhere, any means an expert, but I can't really find any drugs that would help you for ultras. I mean- it doesn't, I don't, I don't even know what would help you. I mean, human growth hormone. No, I guess EPO would, if you're going to pile on some monster efforts, you know, I think it's caffeine. <laughs> um, caffeine's a strong one. Caffeine's a definitely strong one. Maybe amphetamines. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they used to though. I mean, you know, amphetamines used to be really big for like Twitter France and, you know, back in the days of pedestrianism, I mean, they would get yeah. all amped up and run for hundreds of miles. I just don't see that as a big thing. I don't like a lot of the stuff that's going on with the transgendered issue. I've been very outspoken about, I don't think that we should have biological men competing against biological women. I think biological women need their, their own space to compete. Okay. I think that's an issue, but I don't know if it's going to affect our sport a lot. It's hard to tell right now. We're still new. Yeah. Well, last question along this specific thread, actually maybe two. Is there something that you believe that you think the vast majority of people in our sport don't believe as it pertains to running? Man, that is a hard one because the feedback is... Because maybe you are setting the opinion in a lot of ways because you have a podcast and like you have a big audience. Yeah, the feedback I get, I think there's some theory in polling. I used to work in politics and I I forgot the name. So did I. Did you? We can talk about that. The polling term, but... The amount of people who reply or respond in a negative way vastly overwhelms those who reply in a positive way. And I get a lot of crap on Twitter or on my comment section or something about something I'll say. And the positives will be more like a direct email to me or, and there are much less of those than there are the negative ones. So I don't really know. I don't really know what people think sometimes because I know what I think and I get ideas of a spattering of what some people think, but I don't know how much there is to that. I mean, I, th- I think that I would think that most people, I'll go back to the trans- transgender issue. I think yeah. most people would say, eh, I don't think that a self-identified, meaning there's no medical intervention, yeah. meaning I could say tomorrow I'm going to be a, a female athlete. I think most people would say, that doesn't seem right. That sounds kind of hinky. That doesn't seem right. But every time I mention that, you know, I get, all kinds of crap about that. I'm a transphobe, but then I get, so I don't know. I I think that most people would agree with me on that, but I don't really know. 
the last question I want to ask on this topic is, and it comes from an interview you did with Chase Parnell. And that's another person I like because oh, he editorializes awesome. in his yeah. uh, writing. It's great. He's he has these strong lines, but you awesome. asked him, you asked him a good question. You were just like, you know, do you think that the athletes, the pro athletes in this current era of ultra running are as interesting as they were five, 10 years ago? <laughs> and that was a great question. And he kind of dodged it on me. So I got to throw it back to you. Like, what do you think? Like, are you, are you as stoked no. on this? No. How come? No. Now, I just don't think they are, as you said, as interesting. I think they're every bit as talented. I mean, they're crazy fast, but they are, and maybe they're as interesting. And I can, I can answer that because I know some of them personally, they are as interesting in private or mm. in person, but with the emphasis on sponsors and media and social media, they don't come across as interesting because they're a lot more guarded and yeah, well, let's use Scott Jerk as an example. Scott was not a very interesting guy. He really wasn't. I mean, and he still isn't. Scott's a phenomenal, I mean, a phenomenal athlete, ambassador for the sport. But in terms of interesting, he was still pretty guarded back then because he was one of the first guys with a big sponsor. Yeah. But then you take somebody who has, who has crossed those generations, somebody like Carl Meltzer, who's been running forever. Had him on who, the pod. Fascinating guy. Fascinating. Is interesting because so, Carl... Yeah has opinions on stuff, has, has strong opinions, very strong opinions on stuff and shares it. So he's in my very interesting category. I don't agree with him on most of the stuff, but, but he answers it and he's got opinions, but I like no that, pacers, like no pacers. For oh example. yeah. I agree with Carl on that. I, I agree with him on that. We've got a few things we agree on some that I'm just like, Carl, you're, <laughs> buddy, you're, whoa, settle down. But I think a lot of these, okay. And I, I guess another reason of it would reason for it would be you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, a lot of the, the top people in the sport were in their thirties. More life experience under their belt. More yeah, interesting more like, as a yeah, result. Yeah. yeah they, they had done stuff. And so many now are just post-collegiate and nothing against 24 year olds, but you, you just don't have the wisdom that people did back then. Interviewing somebody like Nikki back then had been through, holy cow, she'd been through a ton of stuff. Yeah. And you interview a, 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 a 21 year old now who ran in college and is now getting a 50 case. It's just generally not as interesting. Yeah. Who is on your Mount Rushmore of the most interesting people in our sport oh, of all time? Like, oh. Give me a three to five. Oh, that's a tough one. To, I don't know. Most interesting. I would have Errol on there. Yeah. I would have Errol because who ran with a hate Ashbury ultra running club in the seventies. I mean, he has just got some crazy stories. He's inspirational. He's dynamic. I want to have him on. Yeah. He is not fast at all. I mean, yeah. he's slow. He's paced all sorts of people. He's got wacky stories about pacing Scott Jurek and, you know, Jurek's begging for, for vegan quesadillas and Errol's lying to him and saying, all I got is, you know, there's just, there's great stories. There's just great stories. Who else would be on that? Man, I don't know. That's, I don't know. Or interesting. Errol's way up there for me. And you know what? I think Gary, like you mentioned, Gary just yeah. Gary has so many incredible stories of both yep. success and failure. Yep. And he's introspective and got a great sense of humor. I think I my criteria for it is can they describe the sport in the way, can they tell stories in a way that make people who aren't interested in our sport yeah. perk up? I think, you know? I think that's a really and, good idea. Gary good could make someone entertained who doesn't think running is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. The number of people, I haven't done an, an audience survey in a, in a while, but five or six, seven years ago, I did an audience survey, interviewed a couple hundred people. And it was like 70% of my audience had never run an ultra. 
Well, it was a wild number. So many people, they were just interested in these stories and they were runners, but they'd never run an ultra. I thought that was, that's a really interesting metric that ultra podcast listeners are not ultras. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Well, I actually forgot to ask my questions about the newsletter. So I'm going to come back to that, but I want to hear about it's making airwaves on social media. People are, we're stoked about it. Tell me about the broken arrow sky race weekend. Ha. Huh. Like, what uh, was it like? Why Broken should you yeah, tell me about it? Tell me about it. I, I've been involved in Broken Arrow. So Ethan Veniklason used to be my co-host on URP yeah. uh, for a number of years. Every few episodes I'd have Ethan. And I don't remember how he got involved with it. This was five years ago, but was going to start putting together an elite list for Brendan Madigan, who's the RD for this new race he was going to invent called Broken Arrow, based off of the Broken Arrow ski run at uh, Squaw Valley, now called Palisades Tahoe. And they needed an announcer. I'd done some announcing before. And I said, sounds good. They put us up in a hotel and my family came up and we spent three days up there and it was awesome. It taught me immediately what sky running was. I did not have an appreciation for what sky running meant. I knew it as a term. And I thought that sky running was trail running in Europe, basically. Yeah. You know, trail running in Europe, that was different somehow, but I didn't really appreciate it until I went on the course and you go, okay, okay. So we're running on, on, on ridge lines. We're going down snow. There's ladders involved. Sometimes there's no trails, very different. And I liked it. And then I really appreciated how over the past I've announced every year. So this is my, I guess, fourth or fifth year announcing how passionate and strong the team is that puts it on. I mean, these are not people who take it lightly. These are people who take it very seriously and are heavily invested in the sport and just the community that you've got because you've got this little resort so nobody's going anywhere Mm. everybody's there for basically three days and you get a vk crazy people doing the vk and you get a 52k or whatever it's going to be and you get a sub ultra distance and a couple years ago there's a lightning storm up on top yeah and there's a metal ladder to get up over this nose this is of this cliff and they said there's a lightning storm so we're gonna have to reroute it and everybody's like, all right, you know, that's cool. Lightning storm up on top. <laughs> NBD. And everybody ran it. Nobody freaked out. It's a really cool event because, again, it's got different distances for different people. Yeah. Um, it's not an easy course to watch at all. You've got to go all over the place to watch it. That's right. why having the live stream this year was so awesome. And there's bands and there's cool vendors. And there's just, it's a very cool feel on a very real course that you never really know what you're going to expect. I don't believe that it's ever been run on the same course twice mm. because things happen. There's a lightning storm or two years ago, I, I, two years ago was one of my best times announcing or watching a race ever. And there's skiers skiing down the mountain at the same time as our runners were, were running up it on the same mountain, the lifts were going up and our guys were, and women were running. It, so it was so cool. Is early October the right time of year for it? Or should it go back to that mid June when it's well, traditionally held? Mid-June is really cool because it's the weekend before States. Yeah. So, so the party you know, can keep going over at yeah, States. Yeah, the when party. That, yeah. And there's so many of the elites who are hashtag van life people. So it's just this massive <laughs> caravan of sprinter vans in Tahoe and, and Auburn. One second. How do this many people in our community afford 106? I have, no, I have no idea. And I see people come out and I'm like, dude, you're a barista. <laughs> the world. I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm just going to blame it on Bitcoin or something. But I, but I really, really liked it. Something doesn't add up. I don't know what the hell's going on. 
I don't know what's going on. I mean, Honnold, Alex Honnold lived in a cargo van that he had a mattress in and stuff like that. And he's got the real income. I don't know how our people are doing it. Yeah, that carnival of events you described, I think is an awesome format. It's really cool. It's nicely spread out over three to four days. And then you said forcing people to stay in that centralized location so that they can socialize and hang and just relax. Yeah. And they're there. And then a couple of days later, because Broken Arrow is over on Sunday. And then the festivities at Western, I think, really start on Wednesday. I think there's a medical talks and stuff like that starts on Wednesday. So just stick around and hang out for the party. Two, Two very different races. Very different excuse me very different races yeah but the same people is solomon the sponsor for that is it solomon for broken arrow yeah broken yeah i I know and i don't wear any solomon gear their shoes are too narrow for me but um it seems like they really have a good taste in the way they put on events same thing with their a lot of their content marketing like their videos are great the way they equip their athletes like yeah you know i'll give them a kudos like that just seems like you know they, they put on a nice event here in the u.s and good on them it's my understanding that solomon sponsors air quotes a lot of different races mm. but they don't actually put cash into a lot of oh races. sorry i take that back then i'm sorry <laughs> and i think they no 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 and 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 i think i'm not an i'm not an rd i believe that they actually infuse cash into this one to make it possible because like the amount of i mean there's air support there's so much stuff that goes on for broken arrow that there's all money involved in it. And there, and there should be, I mean, they're getting, I think they're getting an ROI because they're marketed all over the place. They've got a great vendor booth. Their athletes are there. And, and I think people are real appreciative of what they built. Yeah. I'd love to have Ethan on the podcast. Cause I, I, I think he would just be like a great conversation and like a masterclass on how to put on a race. Ethan Veniklassen or yeah. Brendan? Well, both of them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Brendan, Brendan is, is phenomenal. He's yeah. the main brain and he delegates and I don't know how these people stay up. I don't understand it. How they work this many hours and don't go to sleep. I don't get it. It's a really good time. It's a broken air is a really fun time. And even if I stop announcing at some point, who knows why I'll still go up there and check it out. My kids run it. There's great photographers. It's just a really, I've got no financial interest in the race whatsoever. So I'm gaining nothing by hawking it, but they're, it's a great race. Cool. Well, we're going to start to wind down here. I do want to ask you a couple of questions about the newsletter, and then yeah. maybe we can finish off with some talk about politics. Cause we, I guess we both worked in that industry. Oh uh, boy, go for it. Yeah. So I'm curious with, with the URP daily and for mm-hmm. those that aren't in the know, just give us a quick summary of what that newsletter looks like, what the value proposition is. And I have a couple of questions there. It was originally me just putting my link ideas on a page and yeah. making comments on making yeah. comments on them. Yeah. And then for whatever reason, I started publishing it and people like it. So it's weird. And all I try to do is I'm trying to bring articles that I find interesting to people. And, uh, and they are. That's it. Yeah. They all have some type of running content. Sometimes there's music, sometimes there's beer, but it's generally running it's generally ultra running, but sometimes it goes into other things. I try to be fair and precise and polite, and I, I hope I am. And there's just interesting stories that I think people should read. That has changed a lot. Yeah. 10 years ago, <laughs> it was so many individual blogs, independent blogs, and I, I loved that. I, I bemoan that they have almost all disappeared. I used to love reading 
Carl's, you know, Carl's or his race predictions, mm. or I used to love reading individual people's. I mean, Anton Kropitsko, you know, right. pretty much every day he was posting something or Sabrina Little or, or all these different people who were really interesting and really made a really neat media dynamic. <laughs> and they're almost all gone now. There's very few independent blogs left. And, and that, that kind of sucks. Yeah, but one... the, that's the, the process of it is I wish I had a better process and people have tried to tell me you should set up keywords and this and that. And I don't. <laughs> well, what's your, what's your discovery mechanism? I, <laughs> I, I've got a couple tabs on Safari that I, I generally go to. There's some RSS feeds that I like. I've yeah. really been liking Mark Agnew's writing from South China Morning Post. I think he's been writing some really great stuff from SEMP. Okay. Um, I always click on Let's Run. I click on I Run Far. I click, there's sites I go to a lot. And I'll just, then I'll just hop on Google and I'll start searching <laughs> words that, I don't know. I wonder if there's anything with Trail Runner today. All right. There's something else yeah. about Trail Runner magazine about some <clears throat> God knows what. And I'll just share those. It's pretty simple. A lot of times people send me things. Half the time those are interesting and half the time they aren't. If it's a race, if it's a guy running a 50 miler and he's got a, a GoPro pointed at his face the whole time, it's, I'm very happy he did that, but it's not very interesting. I don't think anybody really wants to, I don't want to watch that. So I don't think you guys want to watch that. One uh, last thing I wanted to comment on in this topic is uh, it's depressing in my opinion that people think that long form content isn't consumable and that it's not attractive yep. because I think it's just the opposite. And there's this phrase, I've mentioned it in previous conversations. I don't think that it's, people have short attention spans. They have short consideration spans. And if you can't hook them in that early part, then they're going to move on. But hmm. if you can hook them in that early part, they're going to consume the rest of it. It just depends on who they're reading. So this is a call to action for anyone that wants to be a blogger again. Like, yeah, do it. I love it. It's great content. Yeah, it's simple, especially with Substack and stuff right now. Start one, make a few bucks off it too, and start writing about what you want to write about. Yeah. Especially with Substack, whatever other outlets are paying you. There's some just garbage outlets right now. There's some magazines that used to be good that are just garbage. And there's some new ones that are fantastic. Adventure Journal is just a phenomenal, oh, phenomenal yeah. periodical. <laughs> I don't know what I pay for it each year, but whenever it comes in the mail in that thick paper and the amazing pictures and just fantastic writing, I just, I, I, I clear my schedule for a day because it's phenomenal writing. And it's nice to see print journalism like that. I really enjoy it. I've got one more for you. And I'm not even a surfer, but Surfer's Journal is one of the best magazines you could ever subscribe to. Amazing, right? amazing photography, amazing storytelling, amazing writing. Huh. And surfing is the theme, but it's absolutely incredible. And Surfer's uh, Journal? Surfer's Journal. And okay. that's, yeah, I get that. I get Alpinist. I get Ultra Running Mag. I get uh, Tempo Journal. Like the Wind is good too. Yeah. Yep. We got Like the Wind. Like the Wind is really yep. good. So I, I love magazines and it's difficult. Like when you're on a computer screen reading, I do read a lot of articles, but there's something about just yeah. having a magazine, sitting on a couch, having a drink, and like you can focus better and get into the article better. So, and for what it's worth, I feel a lot less weird sitting on the toilet with a magazine than I do with a, with a laptop. <laughs> right? I just feel a lot more, I don't know what, it just feels a lot more clean or something. <laughs> needed to be said. It needed to be said. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. All right. Well, Hey, last, last time con- I'm, I'm so yeah. enjoying this, but la- last conversation thread yeah. here. Let's talk about politics. Like you were in it. What was your experience like? And why'd you leave? I was in it because I wanted to be involved. I've always been who's paid a lot of attention 
to politics and tried to learn what's going on. Yeah. And uh, I moved up to Sacramento in 2001 and uh, Sacramento, the capital of California, and thought, I'm getting into politics. I don't want to, I have no interest in being a, being an elected leader or anything like that, right. but I, I kind of want to work my degrees in public relations and journalism. Yep. Yep. Okay. Let's see. Let's see where that's going to go. And I was a legislative analyst for a while and then a lobbyist for a while. And uh, a lot of people aren't familiar with what an actual lobbyist does. Lobbyist, I was working for a few different health associations. So the optometric association, meaning eye doctor. And then affiliated people with them are seeing eye dogs and diabetes associations, because often people who have diabetes have vision problems and have guide dogs. And it was my goal to work with legislators to, to fix legislation and to change bills to benefit the optometric, optometric association and people with guide dogs. If a bill came up with uh, one thing I worked on was segues on, on, on sidewalks, mm. you know, okay, those are great. But for the visually impaired community, those are horrible. So things like that I was working on. And then everything from, from Medicare payouts to optometrists and the scope of practice for optometrists. Boring, it's boring stuff like that. And then from there, I went into elected politics where I was working on campaigns for, I had one city council member, then all the way up to Governor Gray Davis. I was, he was one of our clients while he was getting recalled. And that was a circus that I've, that was a, just a wild circus. I was young. I was in my mid, late twenties and working just constantly. I just met my wife where I think we were living together at the time and I would go to work at six and I would have fundraisers and events until 10 o'clock at night all the time. It was just constant. She was in, she was in school at the time. It was just constant work, but God, it was exciting. It was so much fun. It was, I was doing oppo research on people. It was just a blast. Now I didn't agree with their politics at all. Yeah. I'm much more of a libertarian. A much more, much, much more of a libertarian mindset. And I was working for, for all Democrats, but it was great. And I met some fantastic people who, mm. who I would, I got very friendly with, who I would still love to be friends with, but we just kind of fall out of touch. What'd you do, Finn? So my entry into politics was right after college. And I worked for an independent gubernatorial candidate in the state of Maine. And what was interesting about that experience was he was a really qualified candidate, but the entire election cycle, the talking points on the left and the right were how his entry in the race was helping or hurting the other side, as Ugh. opposed to focusing on the issues. Yeah. So a couple people on our campaign got motivated and we decided to run a referendum campaign to change the state's voting system. So I spent the next four years educating Mainers on this system called ranked choice voting. And, and that then- got adopted or not? It got adopted. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Back in uh, 2016. So now it's being used at the federal and state level for primary and general elections. But I left after that. And uh, similar to ultra running campaign life is exhilarating. It's that grind. It's that process. And uh, it's the closest equivalent, I think, to ultra running in a lot of ways, as you can probably attest to. And there's nobody in it older than 30. Because for that reason, I know no, it it's, burns it, you. It's your entire life. Yeah. It burns you. It yeah, burns yeah. you. No, my, my wife had a had a conversation with me at the time. Basically, the you need to make a choice conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I can appreciate that. So yeah, well, hey, Eric, this has been so fun and I appreciate you hanging because we went all over the place. But I feel like, you know, there's gonna be some narrative thread we can find in all of this. It's a conversation. Conversations never take a perfectly linear route, do they? 
it's funny. I was talking to my girlfriend before this episode and I'm like, what do you like to see in a podcast? And she's like, well, honestly, I like this scenario where I can enter into the conversation and it's like, I'm catching you guys in the middle of just kind of sitting on the porch, having a beer or a run or a run run. or like you just meet people. Ah, what you guys talking about? And I feel like we tried to achieve that today and maybe we got it and we'll see what the listeners think. But, uh, Hey, I really appreciate the time and, and maybe we can do this again sometime in the future because I think a lot of what we talk about tends to be evergreen. So, Absolutely. Um, I appreciate the time, Finn. Yeah, thank you so much. Cool. Take care. That's a wrap. Eric is a great conversationalist and truly one of the good guys of the sport. One of those people thinking about and working towards making it better. Do we agree on everything? Certainly not, but he's an opinionated guy. He's an open-minded guy. And like he said about his own guests over the years, that's really what makes a conversation fun and inspiring and educational and all that stuff. I do hope to have him on at least a couple more times in the future. Now, as I mentioned in the intro, I have been thinking a lot about the future of the show, the newsletter what they look like, who they're intended to serve. The emphasis to date has clearly been on the business side and future of the sport. And those themes will likely permeate most episodes moving forward. But I've also realized that I want to serve a particular audience. And that is what I would call the dedicated amateur trail runner. Who is that exactly? It's probably you. You know, maybe you aren't elite or finishing near the front of the pack, but you sure as hell can identify with getting up at 5 a.m. to knock out a workout. You're obsessed with the sport. Training and racing are deeply embedded in your lifestyle. It's likely that all other elements of your daily routine, eating, sleeping, socializing, have all been organized to support this passion. That, in a nutshell, is what the dedicated amateur trail runner is. And that's who I aim to serve. Because of that, the content here will expand a bit. In the future, you can expect episodes on performance, on recovery, on the racing and event side of the sport lifestyle content, it's going to be great. And we're going to have a ton of guests on that will be dropping all sorts of knowledge for you to keep doing what you do, but better. I'm excited to share all of it. So keep tuning in.